Chapter twenty five of the Wrecker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Wrecker by Robert Louis Stevenson. Chapter twenty five, part two. The logs were found in the main cabin behind the canary's cage. Two of them, one kept by Trent, one by Goddedal. Wicks looked first at one, then the other, and his lip stuck out. "'Can you forge hand of right?' he asked. "'No,' said Carthew. "'There's luck for you. No more can I,' cried the captain. "'Hello! Here's worse yet. Here's this Goddedal up to date. He must have filled it in before supper. See for yourself. Smoke observed. Captain Kirkup and five hands of the schooner currency lass. "'Ah, this is better,' he added turning to the other log. The old man ain't written anything for a clear fortnight. We'll dispose of your log altogether, Mr. Godedal, and stick to the old man's. To mine, I mean. Only I ain't going to write it up, for reasons of my own. You are. You're going to sit down right here, and fill it in the way I tell you. How to explain the loss of mine? asked Carthew. You never kept one, replied the captain. Gross neglect of duty. You'll catch it. "'And the change of writing?' resumed Carthew. "'You began. Why do you stop, and why do I come in? "'And you'll have to sign, anyway.' "'Oh, I've met with an accident and can't write,' replied Wicks. "'An accident?' repeated Carthew. "'It don't sound natural. What kind of accident?' Wicks spread his hands face up on the table, and drove a knife through his palm. "'That kind of accident,' said he. "'There's a way to draw to windward of most difficulties, if you've a head on your shoulders.' He began to bind up his hand with a handkerchief, glancing the while over Goddedal's log. "'Hello,' he said. "'This'll never do for us. This is an impossible kind of yarn. Here, to begin with, is this Captain Trent trying some fancy course? Leastwise, he's a thousand miles to the southward of the Great Circle. And here, it seems, he was close up with this island on the sixth, sails all these days, and is close up with it again by daylight on the eleventh. Godedal said they had the deuce's luck, said Carthew. Well, it don't look like real life, that's all I can say, returned Wicks. It's the way it was, though, argued Carthew. So it is, and what the better are we for that, if it don't look so, cried the captain, sounding unwanted depths of art criticism. Here, try and see if you can't tie this bandage. I'm bleeding like a pig. As Carthew sought to adjust the handkerchief, his patience seemed sunk in a deep muse, his eye veiled, his mouth partly open. The job was yet scarce done when he sprang to his feet. "'I have it!' he broke out, and ran on deck. "'Here, boys!' he cried. "'We didn't come here on the eleventh. We came in here on the evening of the sixth, and lay here ever since becalmed. As soon as you've done with these chests,' he added, "'you can turn to and roll out beef and water-breakers,' it'll look more shipshape, like as if we were getting ready for the boat voyage. And he was back again in a moment, cooking the new log. Goddedal's was then carefully destroyed, and a hunt began for the ship's papers. Of all the agonies of that breathless morning, this was perhaps the most poignant. Here and there the two men searched, cursing, cannoning together, streaming with heat, freezing with terror. News was bawled down to them that the ship was indeed a man of war that she was close up, that she was lowering a boat, and still they sought in vain. 
by what accident they missed the iron box with the money and accounts is hard to fancy but they did and the vital documents were found at last in the pocket of trent's sure-going coat where he had left them when last he came on board wicks smiled for the last time that morning none too soon said he and now for it take these others for me i'm afraid i'll get them mixed if i keep both what are they carthew asked they're the kirkup and currency last papers he replied pray god we need em again boats inside the lagoon sir hailed down mac who sat by the skylight doing sentry while the others worked time we were on deck then mr goddedall said wicks as they turned to leave the cabin the canary burst into piercing song my god cried carthew with a gulp we can't leave that wretched bird to starve it was poor goddedall's bring the bally thing along cried the captain and they went on deck an ugly brood of a modern man-of-war lay just without the reef now quite inert now giving a flap or two with her propeller near hand and just within a big white boat came skimming to the stroke of many oars her ensign blowing at the stern one word more said wicks after he had taken in the scene mac you've been in china ports all right then you can speak for yourself the rest of you i kept on board all the time we were in hong kong hoping you would desert but you fooled me and stuck to the brig that'll make your lying come easier the boat was now close at hand a boy in the stern sheets was the only officer and a poor one plainly for the men were talking as they pulled thank god they've only sent a kind of a middy ejaculated wicks here you hardy stand forward i'll have no deckhands on my quarter-deck he cried and the reproof braced the whole crew like a cold douche the boat came alongside with perfect neatness and the boy officer stepped on board where he was respectfully greeted by wicks you the master of this ship he asked yes sir said wicks trent is my name and this is the flying scud of hull you seem to have got into a mess said the officer if you'll step aft with me here i'll tell you all there is of it said wicks why man you're shaking cried the officer so would you perhaps if you had been in the same berth returned wicks and he told the whole story of the rotten water the long calm the squall the seamen drowned glibly and hotly talking with his head in the lion's mouth like one pleading in the dock i heard the same tale from the same narrator in the saloon in san francisco and even then his bearing filled me with suspicion but the officer was no observer well the captain is in no end of a hurry said he but i was instructed to give you all the assistance in my power and signal back for another boat if more hands were necessary what can i do for you oh we won't keep you no time replied wicks cheerily we're all ready bless you men's chests chronometer papers and all do you mean to leave her cried the officer she seems to me to lie nicely can't we get your ship off so we could and no mistake but how we're going to keep her afloat's another question her bows stove in replied wicks the officer colored to the eyes he was incompetent and knew he was thought he was already detected and feared to expose himself again there was nothing further from his mind than that the captain should deceive him if the captain was pleased why so was he all right he said tell your men to get their chests aboard mr goddedall turn the hands too to get the chests aboard said wicks the four currency lasses had waited the while on tender hooks 
This welcome news broke upon them like the sun at midnight, and Haddon burst into a storm of tears, sobbing aloud as he heaved upon the tackle. But the work went none the less briskly forward. Chests, men, and bundles were got over the side with alacrity. The boat was shoved off. It moved out of the long shadow of the flying scud, and its bows were pointed at the passage. So much, then, was accomplished. The sham wreck had passed muster. They were clear of her, they were safe away, and the water widened between them and her damning evidences. On the other hand, they were drawing nearer to the ship of war, which might very well prove to be their prison and a hangman's cart to bear them to the gallows, of which they had not yet learned either whence she came or whither she was bound, and the doubt weighed upon their heart like mountains. It was Wicks who did the talking. The sound was small in Carthew's ears, like the voices of men miles away, but the meaning of each word struck home to him like a bullet. "'What did you say your ship was?' inquired Wicks. "'Tempest, don't you know?' returned the officer. "'Don't you know? What could that mean? Perhaps nothing. Perhaps that the ships had met already.' Wicks took his courage in both hands. "'Where is she bound?' he asked. "'Oh, we're just looking in at all these miserable islands here,' said the officer. "'Then we bear up for San Francisco.' "'Oh, yes, you're from China ways, like us,' pursued Wicks. "'Hong Kong,' said the officer, and spat over the side. "'Hong Kong!' Then the game was up. As soon as they set foot on board, they would be seized. The wreck would be examined, the blood found, the lagoon perhaps dredged, and the bodies of the dead would reappear to testify.' An impulse almost uncontrollable bade Carthew rise from the thwart, shriek out aloud, and leap overboard. It seemed so vain a thing to dissemble longer, to dally with the inevitable, to spin out some hundred seconds more of agonized suspense, with shame and death thus visibly approaching. But the indomitable Wicks persevered. His face was like a skull, his voice scarce recognizable. The dullest of men and officers, it seemed, must have remarked that tell-tale countenance and broken utterance, and still he persevered, bent upon certitude. "'Nice place, Hong Kong,' he said. "'I'm sure I don't know,' said the officer. "'Only a day and a half there. Called for orders and came straight on here. Never heard of such a beastly cruise.' And he went on describing and lamenting the untoward fortunes of the tempest. But Wicks and Carthew heeded him no longer, they lay back on the gunwale, breathing deep, sunk in a stupor of the body, the mind within still nimbly and agreeably at work, measuring the past danger, exulting in the present relief, numbering with ecstasy their ultimate chances of escape. For the voyage in the man-of-war they were now safe, yet a few more days of peril, activity, and presence of mind in San Francisco, and the whole horrid tale was blotted out and Wicks again became Kirkup, and Goddedal became Carthew, men beyond all shot of possible suspicion, men who had never heard of the flying scud, who had never been in sight of Midway Reef. So they came alongside, under many craning heads of seamen, and projecting mouths of guns. So they climbed on board, somnambulous, and looked blindly about them at the tall spars, the white decks, and the crowding ship's company, and heard men as from far away, and answered them at random. And then a hand fell softly on Carthew's shoulder. Why, Nori, old chappie, where have you dropped from? All the world's been looking for you. 
don't you know you've come into your kingdom he turned beheld the face of his old schoolmate sebright and fell unconscious at his feet the doctor was attending him a while later in lieutenant sebright's cabin when he came to himself he opened his eyes looked hard in the strange face and spoke with a kind of solemn vigor brown must go the same road he said now or never and then paused and his reason coming to him with more clearness spoke again what was i saying where am i who are you i am the doctor of the tempest was the reply you are in lieutenant sebright's berth and you may dismiss all concerns from your mind your troubles are over mr carthew why do you call me that he asked ah i remember sebright knew me oh and he groaned and shook send down wicks to me i must see wicks at once he cried and seized the doctor's wrist with unconscious violence all right said the doctor let's make a bargain you swallow down this draught and i'll go and fetch wicks and he gave the wretched man an opiate that laid him out within ten minutes and in all likelihood preserved his reason it was the doctor's next business to attend to mac and he found occasion while engaged upon his arm to make the man repeat the names of the rescued crew it was now the turn of the captain and there is no doubt he was no longer the man that we have seen sudden relief the sense of perfect safety a square meal and a good glass of grog had all combined to relax his vigilance and depress his energy when was this done asked the doctor looking at the wound more than a week ago replied wicks thinking singly of his log hey cried the doctor and he raised his hand and looked the captain in the eyes i don't remember exactly faltered wicks and at this remarkable falsehood the suspicions of the doctor were at once quadrupled by the way which of you is called wick he asked easily what's that snapped the captain falling white as paper wicks repeated the doctor which of you is he that's surely a plain question wicks stared upon his questioner in silence which is brown then pursued the doctor what are you talking of what do you mean by this cried wicks snatching his half-bandaged hand away so that the blood sprinkled in the surgeon's face he did not trouble to remove it looking straight at his victim he pursued his questions why must brown go the same way he asked wicks fell trembling on a locker carthew's told you he cried no replied the doctor he has not but he and you between you have set me thinking and i think there's something wrong give me some grog said wicks i'd rather tell than have you find me out i'm damned if it's half as bad as what any one would think and with the help of a couple of strong grogs the tragedy of the flying scud was told for the first time it was a fortunate set of accidents that brought the story to the doctor he understood and pitied the position of these wretched men and came wholeheartedly to their assistance he and wicks and carthew so soon as he was recovered held a hundred councils and prepared a policy for san francisco it was he who certified goddedal unfit to be moved and smuggled carthew ashore under cloud of night it was he who kept wicks wound open that he might sign with his left hand he who took all their chile silver and in the course of the first day got it converted for them into portable gold he used his influence in the wardroom to keep the tongues of the young officers in order so that carthew's identification was kept out of the papers 
and he rendered another service yet more important he had a friend in san francisco a millionaire to this man he privately presented carthew as a young gentleman come newly into a huge estate but troubled with jew debts which he was trying to settle on the quiet the millionaire came readily to help and it was with his money that the wrecker gang was to be fought what was his name out of a thousand guesses it was douglas longhurst as long as the currency lasses could all disappear under fresh names it did not greatly matter if the brig were bought or any small discrepancy should be discovered in the wrecking the identification of one of their number had changed all that the smallest scandal must now direct attention to the movements of norris it could be asked how he who had sailed in a schooner from sydney had turned up so shortly after in a brig out of hong kong and from one question to another all his original shipmates were pretty sure to be involved hence arose naturally the idea of preventing danger profiting by carthew's new-found wealth and buying the brig under an alias and it was put in hand with equal energy and caution carthew took lodgings alone under a false name picked up bellairs at random and commissioned him to buy the wreck what figure if you please the lawyer asked i want it bought replied carthew i don't mind about the price any price is no price said bellairs put a name upon it call it ten thousand pounds then if you like said carthew in the meanwhile the captain had to walk the streets appear in the consulate be cross-examined by lloyd's agent be badgered about his lost accounts sign papers with his left hand and repeat his lies to every skipper in san francisco not knowing at what moment he might turn into the arms of some old friend who should hail him by the name of wicks or some new enemy who should be in a position to deny him that of trent and the latter incident did actually befall him but was transformed by his stout countenance into an element of strength it was in the consulate of all untoward places that he suddenly heard a big voice inquiring for captain trent he turned with the customary sinking at his heart you ain't captain trent said the stranger falling back why what's all this they tell me you're passing off as captain trent captain jacob trent a man i knew since i was that high oh you're thinking of my uncle as had the bank in cardiff replied wicks with a desperate aplomb i declare i never knew he had a nevy said the stranger well you see he has said wicks and how is the old man asked the other fit as a fiddle answered wicks and was opportunely summoned by the clerk this alert was the only one until the morning of the sale when he was once more alarmed by his interview with jim and it was with some anxiety that he attended the sale knowing only that carthew was to be represented but neither who was to represent him nor what were the instructions given i suppose captain wicks is a good life in spite of his personal appearance and his own known uneasiness i suppose he is secure from apoplexy or it must have struck him then and there as he looked on at the stages of that insane sale and saw the old brig and her not very valuable cargo knocked down at last to a total stranger for ten thousand pounds it had been agreed that he was to avoid carthew and above all carthew's lodging so that no connection might be traced between the crew and the pseudonymous purchaser but the hour for caution was gone by and he caught a tram and made all speed to mission street carthew met him in the door 
come away come away from here said carthew and when they were clear of the house all's up he added oh you've heard of the sale then said wicks the sale cried carthew i declare i had forgotten it and he told of the voice in the telephone and the maddening question why did you want to buy the flying scud this circumstance coming on the back of the monstrous improbabilities of the sale was enough to have shaken the reason of immanuel kant the earth seemed banded together to defeat them the stones and the boys on the street appeared to be in possession of their guilty secret flight was their one thought the treasure of the currency last they packed in waist belts expressed their chest to an imaginary address in british columbia and left san francisco the same afternoon booked for los angeles the next day they pursued their retreat by the southern pacific route which carthew followed on his way to england but the other three branched off for mexico end of chapter twenty five recording by dion gines salt lake city utah